Welcome to No Rewind with Larry Betag. The next chapter of your life begins today, and you're playing the hero. Whether you're on track and ready to cross the finish line or need a complete overhaul, you've come to the right place. Join Larry as he walks alongside you in the next chapter of your life. We'll take a deep look under the hood to see how you can take the right steps to go from good to great. Victories aren't easy, but regret can be costly. Welcome to No Rewind. You've only got one shot. Welcome to No Rewind here with Larry Bettag. This is our second episode. I have a lot of guests lined up, but... As usual with people, we have problems with scheduling and getting things together. And the whole idea of this is to bring a lot of people together. A lot of people who have uh, made decisions for themselves to go from good to great or to not give up and to not um, let go of their dreams. And so today, as a filler, I guess I will until some of my other guests can arrive. I think from time to time, I'm just going to talk about topics and um Maybe it's not filler. Hopefully you'll find that it's encouraging to you and that you're going to be able to go ahead and utilize some of these um, episodes to go ahead and and create something really good or or maybe have something to stir you inside to help you become the things that you're supposed to be in life. You know, I think about my old life now that I'm in the, I'm going to say not the twilight, but I'm going to say the peak of my life right now. I look back on so many things that really, oh, caused me um, disheartening, um, discouragement, um, actually even battle with depression at one point in my life. um, I I know that a lot of people deal with depression as well, and I I really think that, um, in my humble estimation, I, I do think that there are genetic reasons for depression, but I think a lot of depression is really kind of self inflicted. And what I mean by self-inflicted, it means that you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing in life. And as a result, a depression comes in. I heard some speaker talked a couple of years ago about people who are depressed um, are, are very selfish people. And um, I, at first I was very offended by that because I went through great parts of depression and then I, as I read more and more of what he had to write, um, he basically stated that the reason people are um, selfish is because 100% of the world revolves around them and their happiness. And so I think a couple different things as we move forward and talk about dreams here. I think that um, depression comes from really kind of a, a lack of um, fulfillment, um, truly a fulfillment there's such a difference between happiness and fulfillment. And happiness um, can be momentary. I, I know that when I was in college, I was kind of the mayor. Um, I was, um, as I tell people, God's gift to God. He was pretty darn lucky to have me walking the face of the earth. Um, I had kind of found my, my uh, confidence. And in finding my confidence, I... Oh, just kind of let myself finally go from the back seat to the limelight. And uh, in doing so, it was great because in many ways I found um, that my natural personality of being gregarious and involved with um, people and being connected to people 
um, that was being fulfilled because I was able to go ahead and uh, actually uh, be social uh, uh, and be out front and be happy and, and, and be laughing and bring out a lot of times the best in others and, and put a smile on other people's face. But um, in my book, No Rewind, I talk about my personal story and um, I'm going to start with the depression piece. And I'm going to share a story with you of, of what happened to me and my journey. So back in college, back, we'll go back to high school. Back in high school, I, I was picked on a lot my um, freshman year. I, I, had a, I was in a, a speech class with some juniors and seniors. And actually, uh, my, my real personality started to come through. And I was, you know, funny. And, and I made the seniors laugh. And all my speeches were about either the mafia or, or about fishing. And so even the demonstrative speeches, I, I come in and I bring uh, a fishing pole and I, I, I do things that to teach the class about fishing. But I, I had a really self-deprecating humor that my buddy and I kind of learned. And uh, I will tell you, the juniors and seniors thought I was the funniest thing, in the, funniest thing around. Uh, they nicknamed me Fish. So I go down the hall and I say, hey, fish, what's up, fish? And uh, I kind of liked it because I was getting a lot of positive attention. I wasn't doing things to draw attention to myself. Um, I was just somebody who um, was trying to find my way in a, in a world. Uh, I started high school at 13. I was the youngest guy in my class. Um, and so it felt really good to be accepted. And then I ended up leaving that. It was it was eighth period, but, but that was my favorite class. Um, and then I'd go back and I'd hang out with my friends, but invariably there was always that jock or that burnout who wanted to go ahead and find somebody to go ahead and pick on. And I was the geeky guy with greasy hair and the, the, the uh, crooked glasses. And um, I wasn't big. I wasn't small, but I definitely wasn't big. I wasn't a jock. I was by stature a lot smaller than everybody else. And, and so there was this guy who I will call Mike. Uh, Mike would pick on me incessantly. And um, there was another guy who would, um, in my IPS, Introductory Physical Science class, would, he was my, I'm going to say my, um, my, my, my mate. He was, he was the, my, uh, the guy who I was put up next to. And he and I were doing things together um, when we had to do our science projects or our physical science projects. But between the two of them, uh, they made my life miserable. Um, he um, would go ahead and beat on me. He would punch me. Um, and um, he liked me. But um, he had obviously things going on at home. And he would just love just swinging as hard as he could right in my, my right shoulder and my left shoulder. And he'd always tell me to punch him. And if I didn't punch him, he was going to punch me anyways. And so that was fine because he actually liked me. I don't know, in some weird way, um, you find some affection, even if there's <laughs> even if there's brutality involved. But Mike, on the other hand, when I walked through the halls, he didn't like me. And um, I, I learned years later that he had a lot of bad things going on in his family. But as a 13-year-old, you have no clue as far as what's going on in your world. So he would go ahead and beat on me, and he would um, corner me and... and knock my books out and, you know, knock my glasses to the ground. And he was just a complete jerk. And, um, 
you know, I'm sure bullying has gone on since day one uh, of the earth. But uh, for me, it, it was horrible. It was torture. Um, it was terror, quite honestly. I'd go to class and, and I'd do everything I could not to see him because I knew that he had some um, uh, attraction with, with beating on, uh, on the weak. And I was the weak. And... Um, so I don't know why I was the one that was beat on, but I, I do think that um, part of it was the fact that I was funny and um, I had people that liked me. And um, But I will tell you that the terror that I experienced through Mike uh, was well beyond um, any joy that I got from the people who liked me. So between junior and senior year, fortunately, I was... Um, Fortunate enough to hit my puberty stage where I grew, and I'm six three, and um, I didn't, you know, put on a lot of weight, and I wasn't putting on a lot of muscle. I, I I lifted, and I was on the football team, but I started to kind of fill out to be kind of more normal. I, I, I as far as physical stature, and I I grew up to be probably about four or five six inches taller than Mike. Yet he was ripped, and and he was a stud. I think he was a drinker. I think he was a partier. I think he probably did. Did drugs, and uh, I, I don't know those, those things, and so I don't want to put that on him, but I do know they came from a, a family of where he was probably experiencing things that probably weren't that good. Well, I remember one time um, in senior year, um, for whatever reason, I, I left to go to the bathroom, and um, he um, and I were the only ones in the hall, and he came up and shoved me, and so... I turned around and I raised my middle finger like a a, a a good, good Catholic boy would do. And I just said, I didn't say anything. I just flipped him off. And he kept walking and he turned around and he goes, what was that bet tag? And I said, well, Mike, if you can't understand the sign language, I raised my finger again. I said, fuck you. And I kept walking and I knew at that moment he was going to jump on my back and he was going to beat the shit out of me. Fortunately, it never happened. He kept walking, and nothing happened. I went to the bathroom, terrified, thinking that he's going to be in there to do something, and he didn't. So the next day, um, I am in the cafeteria, and I'm leaving, and there was another guy, one of his friends, uh, Brian, and um, we were leaving the cafeteria, and he and Brian got me and shoved me into the corner and did the same stuff they usually do. And But... Wasn't a big deal because I had grown up uh, a bit and I realized that um, Mike wasn't all that. He needed to go ahead and get help. And so he got his bodyguard to come in and help him and he needed somebody else to, to shove me around. I think something, it, it was like the Grinch, you know, how that heart you know grew 10 times, 12 times, whatever. My heart grew a lot that day and I had this realization many years later. Uh, or no, I had a realization actually with this one right at that moment that um, he wasn't going to take me on by himself. Um, he was a shell of a man just as I was a shell of a person at that point. And years later, at one of our high school homecoming, um, high school reunions, I should say, he and I were hanging out and um, I, I told him, I said, you were horrible. You were a terrorist to me. And he goes, I was? And I said, yeah. And he had a sheepish smile on his face. He goes, nah, Larry, I always liked you. And again, at the end of the day, it didn't matter all those years later. I wanted him to know 
that um, in many ways I was grateful. And, and this goes to kind of part of, 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 of the story. Um, I told him, and I'm writing, I wrote about him in my next book. Um, I told Mike that without him, I would not have become really the man that I am today. And what I mean by that is that I had an ability to go ahead and crumble and shrivel up and die. Um, I sure wasn't looking for conflict, um, but I, I finally realized at some point that by standing up to him, that heart grew. My heart grew. I think in life, oftentimes, you have to go ahead and face the challenges that are there in front of you. And many people go ahead and uh, what they really do is they, they run from them. And in running from them, they, 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 they uh, we'll talk about teddy bears and painkillers in a little bit, but um, um, they go ahead and just never deal with it. And so they, they, they do things with, with, with painkillers and um, painkillers are, are, can be anything, but I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. But Mike was turned out in, in, in retrospect to be a blessing to me. And um, because he forced me to grow up, he forced me to realize that I, oh, I thought I paused here. So I, he forced me to realize that um, I, I got a lot more inside me than, than maybe I, even I thought that I had. So I graduate and I go to college. And in college, um, I didn't date at all. Um, there were a lot of women who wanted to date me because I was a good-looking guy. I became a model. Um, I was funny. I had a quick-witted, um, sharp-ass humor, sense of humor. Um, one of five kids, um, it's a free-for-all. And um, our family loved humor. We loved to get a rise out of people. And I loved doing that in college. So anyways, my June, my first senior year, I was there for five and a half years. So my first senior year, I was in the homecoming court. And it felt great to be in there because maybe in some small way I had arrived and people actually thought that I was, you know, something of, uh, of consequence. I know I had a kind heart. Um, I learned how to drink um, probably my, 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 my junior year in college. One thing about me is when we were kids, myself, Tony Masterson, and myself, and, and, and my brothers and I, we would always race with everything we did. So if we came in for Kool-Aid, we came in for our milk, we came in for our water, it was always a race. It was a chugging contest. So in college... Um, I was known as one beer Betteg. Um, that was my nickname because I'd have one beer and I'd be done. I wouldn't be wasted. I just have a beer and I'd be done. And, um, but what would happen is all these football players, um, got word that, um, I was a guy to beat. And so knowing that I was a guy to beat, they would send people to uh, race me in, in a beer chugging contest. And I have the gifts of having that throat that as soon as you, as quick as you can pour it, as quick as it goes down. <laughs> and to this day, I still have that. And I, as a side story, I went to uh, St. Lucia. Well, I'll, I'll bring that up after this story. But in any event, um, no, let's go, let's go to that story right now because it's a fun story. So all these years later, my wife and I go to St. Lucia and I'm, oh, 10, 12 years out of, um, out of really kind of drinking and, and we go to St. Lucia and we're at an all-inclusive resort and in this all-inclusive resort there's this um every day at four o'clock they would um have a beer chugging contest and they'd have about 20 guys out there and they give everybody a free beer and they have uh groups of seven and um if you 
passed on your group of seven, you went down to the final three. So three groups of seven. And of course, I always won my group. And then uh, the first day we were there, they're like, okay, we got the five time defending champion, Joe Blow. Well, anyways, Joe Blow comes up there and I, I smoke him. And everyone's like, wow, that's pretty cool. So, of course, I had to get there every single day and, and, and go back and uh, uh, be there at four o'clock. And I got a nickname called Irishman. Hey, Irishman. So, anyways, even all these years later, I still got it. Um, but, anyways, back in college, there was um, a, a, a football player who's a lineman who, who never lost. And so, one night they said that we got to go ahead and, and have a, a contest. And I said, no problem. So, we all go into a dorm room and we, we chug, and there's only probably about eight of us there, and um, we tie. And so I'm thinking to myself, all this money's on the table. Um, all the bets are placed on me, and all the bets are placed against me. And at the end of the day, they say to me, um, I said, well, okay, it was a tie. Let's grab our money, and I'm, I'm done with my, my, my drinking. And uh, they're like, uh-uh. What do you mean, uh-uh? I'm like, no, 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 no. No, Larry, you, you, you're going to have a race-off. I'm like, a race-off? What's a race-off? It's a tiebreaker. A tiebreaker? Yep, got to do a tiebreaker. So in the meantime, they're running up and down the hall saying, hey, bet tag tied. <laughs> so, so in the meantime, um, I'm sitting there kind of watching all this this hubbub as I start filling the dorm room. And we've gone from eight guys to probably about maybe, I don't know, 16 to 20 people. And, and now there's girls coming in. And so they go three, two, one, boom, boom. We both drink, and we both put our beers down at the exact same time. And I'm like, holy cow, what in the hell do I do now? So, in any event, we go back, and they're running, they're like, this is a five-minute break. We got we to gotta get everybody here. Anyways, they run up and down the hall. Everybody's down the hall. There's probably about at least 30 people in this stupid dorm room that's really designed for... Well, you know, dorm rooms are not that designed for that many people. And um, so we weren't in a suite and um, it was just packed. And so um, the guy and myself, once again, we go ahead and three, two, one, boom. We tie a third time. However, the beer is all over him, all over his chest, all down his shirt. And I win. And all I remember is thinking, get me the hell out of here. So I grab my money, I run to my dorm room, I lay on my bed, and I say I'm gonna. Uh, I tell the guys, let me, let me um, just rest for a little bit. No, I'm out. I, I, I'm out. I, I don't move. Um, you know, I, I think I woke up probably in the same position I I, I went to bed in. Um, I, I was out, but um, a monster had been born. Um, so not only was I funny, well, not only was I good looking, but I had a talent. And so at that point, I, I learned the benefits of drinking and how drinking can go ahead and give you lots of lots of courage. And so I picked up on the liquid courage. So what I ended up doing was using this as a vehicle really kind of to now start to self-promote myself. And in self-promoting myself, um, I had every girl in the world who really, really, really liked me. And for me, it felt great. Because I was a geeky guy who kind of grew into something. And so I dated this really, really good girl. And I think what I'll call her name, I'll call her Julie. And that was not her name. But I started dating Julie. And uh, she was a 
really pretty girl and she had a quick wit like me and uh, we, we had a really nice relationship and um, at the end of the day um, because there was only one of Larry and there were a lot of girls I just didn't want to deprive any girl of any kind of um, the, the, the wonders of Larry and so um, I started to have I guess I don't know if you can call it an affair not really an affair was not a sexual relationship, um, but um, I guess maybe I started making out with another girl. And um, you know colleges, um, and back then without cell phones, it's the rumor mill. And he said something, she said something, and she's told her friend, who told her friend, who told another, and it got back to my girlfriend. So my girlfriend, you know, comes over and asks me about um, this um, if I had. Uh, done anything with this other girl and I as a as a really strong man I said no and um, I denied it I lied and at the end of the day all of a sudden it must have been the Holy Spirit or something because it came crashing down upon me I said yeah I did and I started crying I started bawling really and you know looking back on it you know what's the deal your, your college what's what's the big deal there's really not a big deal I mean that's just part of growing up but here's the deal. Um, there was conviction in my heart. I have parents who are awesome. They, I think they got married at 23 and 24. And I knew I was going to get married at 23 or 24. To a wife who loves me. I mean, I was never going to have an affair. I was never going to be that guy. And here I was that guy. And so the conviction was that for the first time, I violated my core values. My core values killed me. Um... They, they, they had the best core values, and here I am betraying them. And this is the first time really in my life that I realized the, the choices that we have that can really go ahead and, and be between happiness and, and fulfillment. And so, you know, I begged for her to come back, and she did. And the funny thing is, is that she forgave me. God forgave me. Not me. I didn't forgive myself. And at the end of the day, I became the most miserable person in the whole world. And I crumbled. And um, I, I went to the chapel and told God I'll give my life to him. If he can do something with a worthless pe person like me, then he could probably do something with anybody. So um, I begged him to, to forgive me. I, I had no idea that he, he had forgiven me. And so he went through uh, tearing me down and, and rebuilding me. So... But, but, but here's to the point of, of this whole um, episode here. You know, God calls us to do great things in life. And there's a journey, and that journey is going to take, um, take us to um, really some good places. So I'm going to be really honest with you in that, you know, um, suicide's wrong. I don't care how you phrase it, it, it it's wrong. Um, you know, for me... I wanted to kill myself because I had hurt somebody who I really liked. Um, I wasn't who I was as a person. I felt like a failure in every facet of my life. And at the end of the day, um, I really became something that I shouldn't have become. Um, you know, God said, hey, I remember going on walks and I'd raise my middle finger to this guy. And I'm like, fuck you, God, fuck you. And... Um, you know, people, when I tell them that story, they're like, you flipped off God? I'm like, yeah, I did. And all I know is that uh, God was happy with me. He was pleased. 
Um, it's because for the first time in my life, I'm having actual conversations with them as opposed to just flaunting it about me. But um, I, I thought about, I wanted to kill myself, but I just knew being a Catholic boy that, you know, thou shalt not kill, which meant I couldn't kill myself, so I couldn't do it. I knew God could kill. So every night when I went to bed, I asked God to take my life. Um, he wouldn't. Um, I remember seeing the crack of dawn every morning. I was so pissed that I was still here on earth. And, you know, anyways, it, it goes on and on. And so piece by piece and day by day over the course of a year, God started rebuilding me. It was like the bionic man. We can rebuild him and make him better than he was. And so he did that. And I just remember thinking the whole time God's telling me, you know, Larry, you are one stupid dude, but boy, do I love you. You're freaking awesome. And that pissed me off too, because he wasn't playing my game. I thought I could manipulate God the way I can manipulate a lot of situations. And so anyways, I, I will say this. Um, during that year of reconstruction, the depression, I was a really, really, really selfish person. And um, that speaker who said that depressed people are selfish, what he really meant was this. Forget about the people that have biological, um, you know, hormonal imbalances and stuff like this. Um, during that entire year, 100% of that year was all about me. And I can tell you whether you're depressed, whether you're not depressed, I promise you, promise you 100% that if you are focused solely on yourself, you're a miserable person. And um, you, you just are. Um, I, I wish there were other ways to say it, and, and there's not ways to um, sugarcoat it. God didn't sugarcoat it with me. Um, I'm surprised my friends stayed with me. They said I wasn't nearly as bad as I said I was, but I know I was because I wasn't who I was supposed to be. So that leads me to really kind of uh, dreams. You know, here I go, and, and I will tell you, everyone always says, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I can tell you what I wanted to be. Yeah, I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be a football player. Mm, I want to be a multi-billionaire. I want to be famous. I want to be popular. Wouldn't mind being on the cover of every magazine as as a star football player or, or, or a rocker or whatever it might be. But that wasn't my dream. My dream in my heart, God places things within your heart. And I think that um, when things are in your heart, then at that point... You can go ahead and, 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 you know, address those things in your heart. And if you are committed to those things in your heart, in your heart, I really believe that those are things that probably God has placed within them, and within your heart. And so for me, in my heart, the only thing I really wanted in my life, truly, I wanted a wife who loved me. Um, I wanted kids who love me. I want to have a crazy family like my family. Um, I want to create a really cool legacy through my family. That's all I ever wanted. I've known that since I was a kid. That's all I've ever wanted. And I think that if I could go ahead and have a wife who truly loved me, um, for me and, um, that I could love and have these kids, and that would be a legacy, because if I can go ahead and, and love my wife and be a good husband to her, then perhaps these kids 
can go ahead and they can learn the same thing as well too. And we have five kids, and if they all turn out okay, you know, they don't turn out as messed up as I was, then they can go ahead and impact the world even more so than me. So one of my prayers after I got done with this thing with Julie later on was, God, I want you to give me um, a wife. Uh, but here's the deal. Um, if I'm dating anybody, I don't care how madly in love I am with them or how madly in love they are with me. If it's not the one, if it's not the one that's going to go ahead and um, be a forever wife, then break us up. So that means my heart will be broken, and that means that I'll have to break other people's hearts. I'm okay with that. What I want to is get to the end result. So here I am. I get, I'm get i in law school. By that time, my, my faith, I had gone through graduate school. Um, I got a master's in clinical psych. I ended up going to law school. And in law school, I, I finally said, I'm done with this whole dating thing. You know I, 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 you know I want a wife. I'm, I'm like 30 years old now. And uh, I don't even, I don't give a shit is what I said to God. I'm like, you know, do whatever the hell you want with me. I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to work harder than everybody else in law school. I'm going to have more fun because I've been in the working world for two years and to go back and, and, and be on a campus and uh, be able to be an idiot. It was so much fun. And, you know, in many ways I was kind of the mayor in, in law school. I wasn't the guy, but I was, I, I, I was in with the in people but with the right relationships. And, and we, we loved each other. We got each other. We built each other up. And there's only one thing I made, I swore that I would never do in my entire life, and that would be being on a blind date. I was on one blind date once, and that blind date, I will tell you, um, was horrible. And so um, one thing you'll find about me as we talk in these episodes here, I am um, very transparent. I'm not politically correct. I'm not looking to create waves. But I will tell you this. I um, will never, ever, ever do a blind date. And I'm going to share with you what happened. So I end up getting hired by a law firm in town. And at the last minute, I back out of the law firm. And I go to a different law firm. And the guy who I backed out with, I ended up seeing him in a closing. And he told me, he said, Larry, um, I'm going to set you up with a girl. Um, her name is Michelle and he was single and she had worked for him and he said to me, he's like, you're going to, you're going to go on a date with her. And I'm like, I'm not going on a date with her. He goes, you owe me. I'm like, I know I owe you, but I don't owe you a blind date. There's no way in hell. And he, uh, he goes, well, you have to. And I'm like, why? He goes, cause she's a great girl. I'm like, well, if she's a great girl, why aren't you dating her? He said, it's not like that. I'm like, yeah, it never is. So in any event, he goes, well, you have to go. And I'm like, well, why do I have to go? He said verbatim, because I told her you would call her by Tuesday. I'm like, what? Why would you do that? And um, anyways, um, my father raised us with a, um, oh, with a value of your name being everything. And my dad, who is not an emotional guy, gave me a plaque. And basically the plaque, I got, I'm looking at it right now, and it talks all about your name, how he gave it, me my name, and it's untarnished, and you don't tarnish your name. And anyways, long story short, I found out that Jim, who introduced me, lied. He never told her that I would call by Tuesday. He only told that to me. 
but I felt that what my um, my name was online, and I'm in this community, and we live and working in this community, and you know, here I am, going to not show and, and not respond. And I was so pissed off. So, anyways, I called her. Um, I set up a date. We went to a um, restaurant. I met her there because I didn't want to pick her up, and I'll never forget this. And this is my non-political, politically correct uh, part. I walk in, and there's three fat women sitting at a table. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, God. Um, I'm like, I got one fat woman who brought along two of her friends for emotional support. And I'm like, this is another Larry um, uh, dead end that just, I got to sit through this whole freaking night. And then I look to the left. And I see this really pretty blonde woman. Well, first of all, I don't like blondes. I'm, I'm not a blonde guy. I'm a brunette guy. But she's very pretty. And um, we sit down and we have this we, we have this date. And I was like, God, it was her. And um, so we sit down. But I was coming off a relationship. And she was coming off a relationship. And so I'm just like, I'm not in the mood for playing games. I know my dating history. Let's just get on with this date and, and move forward. So I didn't play the games. I we, we sat down, and I remember the first time, I'm like, okay, well, how many kids you want? And she's like, two. I'm like, I want five to seven. And, you know, it, it, and by the way, we, we cracked each other up, but I just want to, I, I asked her all these tough questions, and here's the reason I asked these tough questions. I just want to rule her out. <laughs> I honestly want her to get her the hell out of my life. I don't like blondes. Um, let's find out what her problems are, and let's move on. And she answered them all right. And um, not that I go with the scorecard. I really went there with an elimination thing in my mind. I, I wanted to eliminate her. So at the end of the day, um, she and I clicked. She answered all the questions right. She later told me, because she came from a, off of a, a relationship where the guy played games. She goes, I really liked him. She goes, he didn't play games. Well, that wasn't my intent was never for her to like me it was just for me to rule her out anyways long story short there's a whole thing that happens beyond there but i asked her i said let's 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 go out to the movie right after this and we did and uh we saw the santa claus um with with tim allen and that was our first date and um here i am um it's now in may of this year it'll be 24 years of marriage i got five kids i got a 22 year old, I got a 20 year old, I got an 18 year old, I got a 17, and no, not a 17, I got a 15, and I got a 13. Um, as far as I know, the kids love me. As far as I know, my wife married me because she loves me. As far as I know, she's staying with me because she loves me. And my heart is really happy. But I have to tell you, um, the reason I call this episode Dreams. Is because in truth and reality, God places dreams in your heart. And you can't go through the superficial stuff. And you know what? I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, well, I'll have another episode just on uh, teddy bears. But, you know, uh, you know, people have teddy bears. And our, our whole society is so dumbed down with cell phones, with this, with um, our, 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 our technology, our entertainment, our food, our drink. I'm talking to some people over in Pakistan right now, and I, I, I FaceTime, and we do video shares almost every week. And there's one kid by the name of Sahil, and he is an 18-year-old boy who is trying to take care of his family, and they got eight of them in a room that's no bigger than my office. 
Six of them share the bed, and two of the kids, he and his brother, sleep on the floor. And so the United States, on the other hand, we have everything. The poorest people in the United States, um, other than the homeless people, but the poorest people um, who have are on, uh, in Section 8 housing on food stamps, they got more than 90% of the world. And we dumb ourselves down with just living for the weekend. And so the weekend for me is, you know, going to, going to go party. We're going to go do this. We're going to go do that. Um, we're going to sit in front of a TV. We're going to watch our computer screens. We're going to watch our iPhone. We're going to watch videos. We're going to do all this stuff. And we bury our heart. And the reality of it is our heart cries out. My heart cries out. I want to be connected to people. So um, I think what I'll do is we'll have another episode to talk further about this. But I want you to... My, my encouragement, I'm not coaching you, I'm not doing anything, but my encouragement to you is that don't let go of those dreams. Those dreams are your dreams. God's smarter than you. He's smarter than me. Um, I flipped him off. I told him to fuck off. Um, I gave him the middle finger. I told him he was a... Uh, I called him every name in the book. You know what? It didn't matter. He, all he wanted me to do was get to where I wanted to be in my heart. Um, but the problem is with a lot of people, they never get to their heart and they don't see what's in their heart that got, well, because God, I assure you has placed things within your heart. And if you know that God has placed things within your heart, you will turn, you will start stripping away the bullshit in your life. You will start stripping away the teddy bears. The teddy bears are those things that you're addicted to. Everyone's got addictions, but these are the things that are preventing you from becoming who you want to be. And honestly, there's a massive, massive difference between happiness and fulfillment. I promise you, you are probably, if you are depressed because of your lot in life, you're a selfish person. And I will say this because there was no one in the world as more selfish than I was. And if God can pull me out of it, and if I could go ahead and trudge forward, you can do it. And I really believe that the best is yet to come. So stay tuned. We'll have another one here soon. You can respond anytime. Um, send me an email. My email is just my last name, B-E-T-T-A-G, Betag at Comcast.net. And um, let me know your thoughts. Talk to you soon. Thinking about buying a new home or refinancing your existing one? With interest rates this low, what are you waiting for? Today's historically low rates means now is a great time to take the next step. Talk to Larry Betag from Cherry Creek Mortgage. Larry is a great resource to answer all your home financing questions. Call Larry at 630-524-9677 or visit www.cherrycreekmortgage.com forward slash Larry Betag. Larry Betag, NMLS number 158606. Cherry Creek Mortgage Company, Inc., NMLS number 3001, an equal housing opportunity lender. Not everyone will qualify for products offered. Thank you for joining Larry Betag at No Rewind. Be sure to repost this podcast or share it with a friend. If you'd like to contact Larry directly, you can email him at betag at comcast.net. Or you can call him at 630-417-7172. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of No Rewind. No Rewind.